They say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole. Get we found. ready. It's time again to venture down the rabbit hole into the world of cybersecurity. You're plugged into the podcast for security leaders and practitioners with a business sense. Prepare for unique interviews, insights, and practical advice that makes your job just a bit easier. And now, please welcome your guides on this adventure, James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafalos. All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome down the security rabbit hole to yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. I'm Raf. Uh, two squares over from me that way is James. See, I got this right now, James. <laughs> right on your screen, not right on my screen. You're right in the middle on mine. Well, so, you, just gotta, you, can, you can rearrange your screen to be like I, mine then. <laughs> I can, can you rearrange it? Yeah, you can, can just drag and drop the boxes, bro. Oh my gosh, what the heck? When did that Isn't happen? that amazing? This is amazing. That was one of the things I loved about Zoom, that you could move people around. See, the Boomcaster platform just keeps evolving, it's, man. They're on I'm V2 you now. You've got some, all kinds of good stuff now. <laughs> it's a little I can even I can even blur backgrounds, but uh, I don't like – my background's perfectly fine. I don't – Oh, yeah, anything. yeah. You guys can read what books I'm reading. Oh, wait, that way, that way. And my uh, – uh, that way. There you go. The uh, My shrine to uh, the n- number 30 – Anyway, speaking of uh, moving this along, thanks for joining us, guys. We've got another fun episode for you. Um, uh, With all the interesting stuff happening in remote work and technology evolution and all the interesting things that go with that, um, I thought I'd bring on Steve Riley. uh, And uh, Steve, jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll just kind of start talking. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's going to be fun. I'm Steve Riley, field CTO at Netscope. I've been here a little over two years. I joined from Gartner, where I was a cloud security analyst. Oh, oh you're one of those. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I wrote a magic quadrant and a market guide, but whatever. That was okay. Then we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what's a field CTO? Um, well, you know, it's it's an interesting <laughs> job. Uh, I, I like to I like to kind of joke around and and let's hope this is received in the way it's intended. Uh, I don't build anything. I don't sell anything. I don't manage anybody who builds anything or sells anything. Maybe that's from a movie. I don't remember. Uh, But what I have to do is, uh, you know, generate ideas that other people find useful in getting done, whatever it is they need to get done. Uh, So, you know, I, I, I bring to the job, uh, 20, you know, 25 years of InfoSec experience. Um, I've been involved in cloud security since the beginning, 2009. Uh, and, you know, I, I love this world of ideas and even taking existing ideas and trying to cast them in new ways so that perhaps new insights can be revealed from that sort of thing. I, but I, and as a part of my job, I get to touch every dimension of Netscope's business. That's kind you know, of fun. Marketing, engineering, sales, customer success. Ooh. And that's what's fun. Yeah. You just, you just said since the beginning in 2009 and my brain hurts. Have we really <laughs> been doing this cloud thing that long? Amazon S3 2009. Wow. I, I think I recall kicking around like the original reference architectures 
for this new concept called cloud computing, like early and mid 08. Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah, it would. I mean, EC2 was also in 2009, um, okay. where you know the, the ideas finally started to become reality. I think we were kicking around the uh, shared responsibility model as a yep. PowerPoint slide. Mm-hmm. I remember Hoff posting it uh, a, a bajillion years ago. Him and Rich were working on it, and then like everybody commented on it. I, th- I think that's the, my first recollection of of what would become the the. Uh, waking nightmare that is uh, cloud computing these days. <laughs> yeah, and I wrote a one of my early research notes that Gartner was on the same thing. <laughs> well, so listen, we, we've as as nice as it would be to talk about semi modern technology. Mm. Um, there's still this uh, Walking Dead zombie apocalypse out there of old stuff that's sort of the the walking dead of technology if you will right the, yep. the things that are that died but just that nobody's told them yet and i know you <laughs> want to touch on particularly on this concept of remote access and but i want to start with vpning mm. because whenever to all of us old school nerds when, as soon as you say remote access i my brain first goes to dial up and then the vpn right cuz i used to dial into things that you know when we actually yep. plugged into a phone line and the coupler and the then the things Sure. Back back when uh, pterodactyls flew in the skies, and then um, and then we evolved, and we just could then we could configure Cisco VPN clients, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm glad that that got easier because the original like technology was a great idea, but the execution was freaking hard. Well, I mean, it, the goal was maybe in the early days actually to get people on on a network. And that's what dial-up and VPNs did. You ran an agent. Uh, you would make the connection. It would create a virtual NIC in your machine, and you'd receive an IP address. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I think the majority of folks needed access to apps, not to networks. But, you know, in those early days, network was the only way to get to apps. So let's come up with a network way to do remote access. And so you see all those... Protocols like PPTP and L2TP and IPsec um, are oriented around getting people on networks. And, you know, I think those, those days of putting people on a network, that's no longer really the goal. Maybe it was actually the wrong goal from the beginning, but there was no alternative. That That's interesting that you say that. Because um, that's crossed my mind, but I don't think I've ever spent any time thinking about it that way. Um you're right. The original, I mean, but there, there were times where you just wanted to get dropped in. Like you wanted to be at the office without sitting in the office, right? Which meant yeah. access because, because everything was internal back then, back in the old days, back in the before times. Yeah. You know, you had your exchange server, God help us in the environment, in, in the environment, you had your file server, right? You had, you know, everything, your antivirus server, your workstation connected to everything was internal. Um, and so you did need access to it, but here's the thing. What we didn't want and we got as a side effect was all the contractors that would connect in or mm-hmm. support staff or whatever and get access to the network. The whole network. Yep. The, the entire thing. And we, but we tried like stupid human tricks with um, you know, firewall rules where you dropped into a DMZ and then you could only go to certain based on – like that mm-hmm. was later. Um, I feel like we've been unwinding that monstrosity and we've had some breaches as a result of that ever since. Now, at what point did we – okay, let's start here. 
is the access to a network concept, is that dead or is that dying? Well, maybe it was wrong from the very beginning. Oh, I mean, okay. if, if we are acknowledging in the remote access scenario that what we really need to do is mediate interactions between humans and applications, why shouldn't we do the same thing on a local air, local access network, local area network? Why Why should I have an IP address that can take me everywhere in the world and and and, and not have access to that gated by what I need for my job role, right? I mean, do, should yes, okay. I'm in engineering, uh, but should someone who isn't in engineering have access to the source code that r- runs our data planes? Probably not. Uh, um, I, I'm just using an example. I don't actually know what level of controls we have for something like that inside Netscope. I just haven't explored. Uh, um, but, you know, if we think about early attempts at trying to reduce the surface even for internal users you know those were like um, network admission controls but again it was all about the network and it relied on things like 802.1x which is easily spoofable on on a wired network i even wrote something about that a long time ago um and, and you know so whether we're talking about local access or remote access i think the right conversation is how do we make sure that the well, I should say the correct conversation because I'm going to use the word right a lot. How do we make sure that the right people have the right access to the right resources at the right times for the right reasons? Forget about what the network looks like underneath that. That's I, I where think, I think that we should be headed toward. Is that where zero trust takes us? I mean, is that kind of the premise behind zero trust? So it takes it away from the network idea and puts it more onto the, there is no local network. It's just, these are apps you're going for or certain resources you have access to. Does that tie to that or is that kind of a stretch to pull that? It's not a stretch at all. In fact, in my mind, the best way to design a corpnet would be to treat it as if it were the internet. I don't want DMZs. I don't want internal users. I want people, regardless of where they plug in, if it's the Ethernet jack in the office or the Wi-Fi at a coffee shop or in my house is Ethernet jackets in the house, but I, I know most people have just Wi-Fi, and that's fine. Wherever you get your network connection, that IP address does not automatically confer a position of advantage. Okay. It's just an IP address. If you want to interact with a resource, you have to present yourself to that resource. The resource has ways of assessing who you are, who your device is, maybe other signals too, like time of day, day of week, data sensitivity level, um, you know, geolocation of the human and the data. And then you make a determination of how much access to grant at that specific time. Okay. And what's beautiful about this is the application and the data owners get to control that, not the infra guys anymore. I'm sorry, Raphael. No, no, that's okay. I, so I'm, I'm thinking, and I, I'm going I'm to keep interrupting you because my brain just suddenly says, cool. say something. Um <laughs> I think the reason that we we uh, we got to network uh, and and not didn't start at like the internet cafe kind of idea originally, right? I think is because we didn't have the ability uh, to put policy on the remote things that we needed. Sure, um, that you're right. That didn't exist because, because that's hard, right? And and it's it's but it's not it's not hard to do. It's hard to do in a meaningful dynamic way. And the reason VPNs showed up initially is because 
frankly, that was the model, right? Like everything that was the network model. Mm -hmm. That was the office based. Everything was here. And I think the transition point over the last eh, 10 years or so, it's not just when people had Blackberries and laptops. It's when the data that they were accessing, the applications that they were using started being more SaaS than internal. Then they're mm -hmm. not on internal servers anymore. They're out on the internet. And so it didn't make, I mean, there's still plenty of companies that make you run through from your house or your coffee shop to the internet, down to the corporate office, to an aggregator, and then out because they enforce policy there. They yep. enforce, you know, uh, filtering and, and all sorts of things. Um, and I guess, look, and, and that model doesn't necessarily, uh, if you're doing enforcement like that, as long as you're doing the enforcement, let's let's take that, I can say that's a given, right? So you're doing reasonable enforcement. With the amount of bandwidth we have today, like the T1 lines of old were $1,500 to $5,000, you know, yeah, a, really. a month, right? Right. I remember putting them in. They were crazy expensive. Um, now bandwidth is, I mean, I've got a gig at home for 80 bucks. It's, it's mm. absolutely bonkers. Uh, but... So that, so it, I don't think it's the bandwidth is, is not, is not an issue. So then it becomes an, a thing of, well, we're doing this because we want to centrally control. But I think what's happened is what, what you're going to tell me. And I think I agree with is that the, the ability to have a centralized policy and control infrastructure can actually be delegated to individual endpoints without losing anything. Yeah. Uh, if you think back to maybe some of the academic approaches to how policy works, you'll, you'll encounter this notion of centralized policy decision and distributed policy enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think that actually makes sense to bring into, you know, out of the walls of academia and into the real world. Uh, you want one place where you, uh, where you, create those policies and one place where a decision is made about who can access what under what circumstances. But then you want to distribute the enforcement of that as close as possible to where the data lives, as close as possible to where the users are. Um, and and it's, that, it's that consistency of policy application across all lanes of traffic, across all types of users, across all styles of cloud that we can now do with modern technology that maybe we wish we could have done 15 years ago. When does that, I, I know there's a lot of, you know, legacy VPNing out there. Mm. When does it make sense to flip the switch between your VPN aggregators and concentrators that you have and to go to a, we haven't talked about what the new model is yet, but to go to a more distributed model and a, and a distributed access centralized control model. Like what's yeah. the, what's the decision point? Um, well, <laughs> I think we actually witnessed that in <laughs> the first three or four months of 2020. Yeah. Right? I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. Uh, and I don't need to belabor the history. We all know that now, but it was hilarious to watch how the Gartner inquiries suddenly changed because everybody tried to scale up their VPNs, ran into problems, call Gartner. How do we make our VPN better? We don't know, really know. Uh, and then ZTNA came out. And so, um, you know, people were calling back. It's like, Hey, that looks like it'll work a lot better. Yep. It will for 90% of your users. They mm -hmm. use web apps. They use browsers. 
Um, it's that remaining 10%, you know, that's weird. It's the service making a connection to the client. It's um, something that is a legacy, or I should say a heritage protocol, maybe, uh, that you'll still need to keep your VPN around for. And, you know, we lived in that world for a little while where it was a mixed mixed model, new and old. But with some updates to the newer models now being able to accommodate all directions and all protocols, we I think it's finally where we can begin serious discussions about retiring all of the legacy stuff. Legacy access stuff, I should say. Legacy access is is okay. So let, let's talk because we haven't really we, we've talked about it. We haven't really named it. What yep. what is the uh, what's the new thing? What's the thing that we're that's going to take us for the next twenty years? Maybe. So early in 2019, uh, I noticed that there were a lot of vendors building products based on a model from the Cloud Security Alliance called the Software Defined Perimeters. SDPs. Yep. SDP. But even then. It, even though it was from the CSA, the SDP had a very much of an on-premises feel to that model. And what the vendors were doing was um, taking it a step farther and figuring out how to deliver a lot of these services from clouds. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to write a market guide about this. Uh, and you know, when you write a market guide, you have to give it a name. <laughs> well, Market guide for software-defined perimeters sounded well. I didn't want to co-opt CSA, right? Um, I and and I thought, wait a minute. I'm also seeing um, these products implementing zero trust principles, and I thought, hey, you know, this is the principles manifesting manifesting themselves into something that people can buy or subscribe to. So I would call it the Zero Trust Network Access. That was my name. If I could do it all over again, I'd call it Zero Trust Application Access because it's really what it's about, mediating interactions between humans and apps, not humans and networks, but it's too late okay. now. And, and yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. And, and, there, and, and there are, what, five, six, nine, 37 different nicknames? Uh, SASE, SSE, uh, ZTNA, ZTE. <laughs> Well, uh, ZTNA is the specific market that I just described, but it's it's not going to be a market much longer. It's becoming a feature of what Gartner calls SSE. So what is SSE? Well, SSE represents the um, the merging of two previously separate markets, CASB and SWIG. They came together. In fact, I advocated what, for making uh, uh, that. Uh, uh, what, what is SWIG? Secure Web Gateway. Oh, okay. SW, Web okay. filtering. But I thought you just made something up on me. I'm like, what the hell? Have I <laughs> no, missed SW, it? <laughs> SWGs. Uh, you know, okay, continue. Uh, yeah. uh, again, I, I, granted, I do speak in Gartner acronyms. It's just going to be the way to deal with it, but I'm happy to define things. Just interrupt. That's fine. But the authors of this of this SWIG MQ and the authors of the CASB MQ, I was one of those, noticed that these markets were combining. Vendors in each space were offering features in the other space. So we said at the end of 2020, these MQs are done. We're going to come up with a new converged one. Um, and then I departed Gartner, and the, the people who took over decided they were going to bring ZTNA into that too. So now think about it for a moment. A complete full security service edge, SSE, runs from the cloud. It is a service that customers can subscribe to and send all their traffic doesn't matter whether it's SaaS, web, or private apps. In fact, I'm a big advocate for eliminating the distinction. Now, this is what I say about Netscope. Uh, send us all your traffic. We will sort out what goes where, 
based on the policies you define in our console. We're not making the decisions. We're enforcing the decisions you make. And we can apply the same policy engine and decision-making process to all lanes of traffic. Doesn't matter. Swig, it doesn't matter. Web, SaaS, private apps. Don't want to make the distinction anymore. That's what SSE is. And then there's this okay. whole thing called SASE, which is like combining infosec stuff in SSE with infrastructure stuff on the networking side. It's mostly SD-WAN these days, but SD-WAN includes things like routing and WAN-OP and the other sort of things that were once upon a time distinct markets themselves, but are no longer. Okay. Is this... The hamster's thinking. Um, I can what, what see the, the wheel spin. <laughs> that's the smoke coming out. Yeah. Um, that's a different thing. Um, we met. We mentioned before that one of the big trip-ups for the move into something beyond VPN was this, uh, the non-human things, mm. right? Non-human application access. Have we solved that and how? You mean non-humans accessing applications? Yeah. Like so windmills and things like that? Something I could have used, oh, literally 20 years ago, 22 yeah. years ago. Well, re- remember that all zero, every zero trust strategy must begin with an identity strategy. Um, now, we typically associate identities with humans, but identities can persist on machines on devices, on things out in fields, you know, like windmills and uh, things in factory floors and vehicles. So all of these entities can possess an identity that can be then put forward when it wants to make access to something. The, the, The reality is I think that the industry has done a great job of creating mechanisms for managing human identity, non-human identity is more of a challenge. Um, you know, they they have passwords that can never change because good luck going out into the middle of an ocean and changing a password on an oil rig. Um, so we, we need more and better ways of um, establishing and managing non-human identity. Uh, I don't want to claim to be an expert in that. I'm not. Uh, there are smart people who are trying to find ways to solve this problem. But once that non-human identity management problem is solved, then all of the rest of the tools ought to just work because identity is identity regardless of where it comes from. Okay. Right. So if you're looking at basically bring kind of I am into everything and saying, look, we're not doing it at like a networky type level. It is at identity-based levels to be yes. able to make all these decisions. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I like to give the example of, um, you know, if Alice is on, if Alice wants to interact with sensitive data and she's on a managed machine, she can go everywhere. If she's on an unmanaged machine, then maybe we want to bring in the classification of the data that app interacts with. If it's public data, sure. Give her access. If it's internal data, maybe we give her read only access, non-managed, unmanaged machine, but she needs to look at stuff outside of business hours, right? If she wants to interact with confidential data, no access. In other words, we're saying, if you want to work with confidential data, you can only use your corporate provisioned device. Okay, uh, hold, hold. Laptop, phone, whatever. I want to take that same principles 
and be able to do that with a non-human identity too. All right. is, is, this, is this vehicle, is this a known vehicle in a known spot? Um, is this no, a known vehicle in a, in a spot that we've never seen it before and we also know is uh, suspicious for one reason or another? Then we reduce what that vehicle could do until we can, in some other fashion, um, regain some trust in it, to use a common word. <laughs> that change, though, though, going from strictly thinking of an identity base to identity plus behavioral base. Oh, yes. Right? Because yes. my identity doesn't change whether I'm on a managed device or an unmanaged device. My identity is still my identity. But the behavioral characteristics that I'm passing along is I'm on a less trusted device. Right. So you're almost taking two different components and using those to make decisions versus just saying we're going off of identity. We're going we're going off of identity plus mm -hmm. environmental or behavioral or something else to make additional decisions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, behavior is one of the many signals you can use. I like your notion of bringing it up to the identity level. Um, you know, when I see charts about all these different um, signals, they tend to group themselves into hierarchies with identity always at the top and device at the top. Um, but you're making me think that behavior should be at the top too, because not only do we need to know who you are, but we need to know what you've done in the past. Both of those are equally important. You're right, James. That's good. So let, let's let's talk implementation um okay if you're on a you just gave me the segmentation there if you're on a managed system that is so managed implies you have some sort of agent on that machine some yes. sort of yep. thing okay mm -hmm. uh what if i'm logging into whatever thing from my phone or my ipad or um, you know, my, uh, my wife's laptop cause I'm on vacation and I forgot yeah. mine. Well, you don't have the agent. So the other, you are therefore by definition on an unmanaged device. Correct. Um, what else could we do? We, we could do the reduction in access, which is, you know, read only, right. That's one option. Another option could be shunt your session to a, a browser isolation chamber so that, um, what comes back and forth between your device and the destination is just pixels, right? You don't actually have the ability to um, download data from that. You can only interact with data, but you can maybe in this case, we could give you read write access. So you could submit some things. Um, another option would be, you know, to, uh, to switch over to a reverse proxy style. Although um, for a variety of reasons, reverse proxies tend to break things and, Browser isolation mm -hmm. seems to be emerging as a better option. And then there's the newest one, this idea of enterprise browsers, but that would require installing something on the endpoint. So you'd have to acknowledge that um, someone could deposit a package running it, an, an enterprise browser on your wife's laptop, which may not be something that everybody is in favor of. So I've heard that a couple of times. The hell's an enterprise browser? It's a pre-configured browser that can connect only to approved resources and nothing else. Didn't we do that via host files like a million years ago? Mm. Or is, is it is it is this something well, that more? would be like, the whole what? system though, right? Like That'd this would be, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of this like if you get like Burp Suite, it comes with its own Chromium browser that's pre-configured mm. to use a proxy, certain things like that. Like I'm I guessing, know, I see. Yeah, this would be so, similar, right? Like the company mm. could say, "Here's all this browser can do." Right. Yep. And you have to install it and then it would give you access to that one piece. Right. 
I still think browser isolation maybe is a little smoother because it doesn't require installing something on these unmanaged devices. You can leave it unmanaged and, and you know, you're, you're getting a session. So think about it this way. Here, here we go. On a managed device, you have an agent. On an unmanaged device, you run browser isolation and the browser isolation performs substantially similar functions to the agent. There you go. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Does this start opening us up though? Like the configuration behind this of, okay, I had identity access management and great. Like I know who you are and maybe we leave it at the basis of you're either managed or unmanaged, but all these extra pieces, does it open us up for such complexity that that's where we're going to miss something? And we thought we had it more secured than we really did. And now we've got more openness than we thought. Yeah. Um, I need to close my door here for just a second. It, 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 it does. And, you know, folks have argued for a long time that identity is the, or that complexity is the enemy of security. And I do not disagree with that at all. But if we accept as a given that modern styles of work require um, much more flexibility than when we assumed everybody was going to go to the office every day, mm-hmm. if we have to acknowledge that people do need to strike a balance between staying secure and getting work done, which includes doing work on unmanaged devices, then we have to we have to build security mechanisms that can accommodate all that. And you're right. It does mean we're going to look be looking at many more things. It does mean we have many more configs we have to do in consoles. Um, it, it does mean that there are more opportunities to make mistakes in those configurations, which attackers could exploit, right? Configuration vulnerabilities are far more prevalent than code vulnerabilities. So as we see tools emerge to help automate the analysis of those configs and finding where those mistakes are and helping you fix them, I, I think they're important. But what is the alternative that we return to everybody on the corp net using stone knives and bearskins? I don't think we want to go back to that. I, I think we've what we've done is we've traded we've traded flexibility. And this is the trade-off, right? VPNs were a simple thing to configure. You were either on the network or off the network. You yep. either accepted or you weren't. Now, as James pointed out, you've got a plethora, a cornucopia of options <laughs> uh, to flex my vocabulary just a bit. Like you've got a bunch of options that are, that you have, that are available to you. And this reminds me of the conversation about cloud is I've given you a ton of options. I've given you a whole ton of ways you could screw this up. What are the safeguards? What are the, what is the secure by default? Uh, how do we do this? So that the default isn't access everything. The default is nothing works until you give me specific access. Is that how it's done? It, it, yes, but interestingly enough, that is how IaaS clouds operate. When you when you provision a thing in IaaS, only you, the person doing the provisioning, can manipulate that. If you want to allow other entities to interact with it, you have to intentionally put them on the access control list for that. Now, the challenge is um, there, there are many more things you can provision in clouds that need identities associated with them than when we dealt with racks and servers mm-hmm. in our data centers. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why uh, that's why these these tools that help you do effective analysis of access controls that allow you to profile those have got to be part of our habits. Um, you know, if we're going to create an access control list for something, we need to test what the edges of that access control might allow or block to make sure that we're back to what I mentioned earlier, all the rights, the right access by the right people, the right resources, the right time for the right reasons. And it is possible. I just think it isn't habitual yet. And that's why we see, you know, open buckets over and over again, because the habit is to be easy and to Mm. weaken the default by secure stance or the, the secure by default stance. But does it build mm. off levels, though? Because, I mean, I could see if you're going to go implement something like this, your first stab is, one, you have to be identified, right? Like, you have to have a mm. valid identity to get any access to anything. And then if we want to lock it down corporate-wise, you have to be on a managed device. Like, by default, that's fairly secure in that stance, right? Anybody off a managed device, right? It's Once we start getting to that next level of, Okay, we have exceptions. Somebody needs to access this resource off of a managed device mm-hmm. that we now start getting into configurations of, okay, how do we, but if you start off at like level zero, right? Identity and managed device by default, that's kind of a pretty secure start way, right? Yeah. Versus, you know, opening up the other way and say, okay, we have to kind of lock this down going away. Right? We're starting off lock. Like you were saying, you know, with some of that other stuff, it starts yeah. off limited, and you have to explicitly say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow somebody on an unmanaged device to get to this. And our rules for that are if you're on an unmanaged device, you have to have X, Y, and Z enabled or you mm-hmm. know, whatever. You have to be in a certain geographic region. You have to – whatever the, the rule might be there. Yeah. Um, I, it's a lot easier to grant permissions than to rescind permissions. So mm-hmm. I want to start with a minimal set of permissions. And – I want to work with the business units to determine what the ideal set of permissions should look like. And, you know, we'll, we'll add, we'll, we'll add some, test it, maybe add a few more and test it. Um, the worst thing you can do is open something to the whole company for all forms of devices and then sit back and wait for bad things to happen and then figure out which permissions you need to rescind to keep that bad thing from happening a second time. I don't want it to happen the first time. So it does mean there's going to be a little bit of iteration as we fine tune these controls. But the iteration comes from the fact that people who need access to this stuff aren't always in the same spot at the same time. You know, the business units are demanding flexible work. Well, the business units need to participate in the mechanisms that are required to allow that flexible work to transpire safely. So yeah, if you're gonna do data classification, don't do it by yourself in the IT department, get the PUs involved. If you're gonna, if you're going to use something like ZTNA to mediate access between humans and apps, get the owner of the app involved so that together you can determine what the ideal access control should be and what the conditions are that should be have shades of access somewhere between allow or block. It's, it's more work, but hey, nobody said flexible styles in modern business is going to be easy. And I think what we're witnessing here is an example of how it isn't so easy anymore. Yeah. All right. So let, let's, let's, as, as we wrap this episode up, cause this has been a lot of interesting stuff to run around in my head. Um, cause I haven't been, I haven't done this in, in, in a while. Um, what's the longevity of this solution? Like, cause I, I always think about, or try, try to anyway, 
the time horizon for the effectiveness of something mm. like this, right? Because VPN had a long run. Yeah. And then it's sort of like, it's I picture it like a bottle rocket, the long whistle and boom, <laughs> gone. Right. What is, what is SSE or secure service edge? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yep. What's the, what's the longevity? Does, does this thing survive the next major evolution in tech? What, like what, 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 what is this? What's the future? Are we, where are we on the, I guess on the evolution development of this this thing, I think we're on a path that's here to stay for some time, unless okay. we agree that we're going to revert to the work styles of what five years ago. Well, maybe more like ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, you know, I, I know plenty of people um, in my generation, Generation X, who are like, oh, I ain't ever going back to the office again. And we know that's even more prevalent in the in the younger ones, right? Um, so we we I I see in the long term that work will happen everywhere, all the time, everywhere all at once, all the time. Maybe I don't know. Uh, that's a movie. That's nice right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that we we are now those of us involved in this, we get to create this tech. And the processes that go that surround that tech, and one of the things that we all need to do, and maybe we aren't doing a good enough job of it, Rafal, I'll grant you that, is envisioning how do we do this for the long haul. How do That's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that a little while longer. How do we give this? How do we give these new ideas the staying power? That's right. The old ones did. Did the old ones stick around so long because they had merit, or because it was the only way we knew? I'm, I'm going to put my dollar, way, right? I, I'm going to put my dollar on that. Yeah, it, it just the one we, that's the thing we knew, and right. we, I mean, we by, it, it. Go ahead, Raf. I was going to say it took us so long to get it working. Yeah, but yeah. we wanted to mess with it. Well, <laughs> well that's the, the thing, right? Have, we have so many people that yeah, have the knowledge and the experience mm-hmm. in that way, right? It mm-hmm. is. It's it's just the way, like trying to get that switch. And I've said this before on other topics. You know, I mean, when we start looking at compliance things and regulatory requirements, you know, I mean, even the switch off of old school antivirus to go to something that's a little bit more new and upcoming, you know, that's not just going off of existing payloads is really difficult for organizations to do because it's like, well, we have to meet this, you know, and PCI says we have to have that. And that doesn't really match the title. Can I switch to that? So now take that to a whole organizational level of how do we make that change and you got people have to learn how this actually works the right way because what's going to happen is you get a lot of people that implement it the wrong way which doesn't help us very much (laughs) but we get a lot of people that implement the wrong way but we have to now train everybody on how to do that when as an organization i could easily just say well we know how to do this let's just Mm -hmm. do it we can implement it it'll be cheaper up front at least i don't know about long term but i know the cost of this Let's just do it, right? Like, take the easy route. I think that's the biggest inhibitor for anything that we try it, to do in is. the security realm, trying to make some of these changes. Like, if you go, so if you step out there and say, it's mm. going to be hard, <laughs> people are like, yeah, never mind. Like, that. <laughs> that's too much work. What if we cast the conversation as starting with the outcomes? I want my people to be able to work safely and productivity wherever they are. And then you work backwards. I mean, it's like, you know, you mentioned PCI and these regulations. The regulations are often outcome-driven. Protect the data. They don't say install a firewall. 
Now, they may recommend a firewall, but if there are other ways to protect the data, you've accomplished what the spirit of the regulation has in mind. And I think we can apply that same thinking to much of what we've discussed here today. Start with yeah. the endpoint, work backward. Yeah, I think some of the risks, though, around that, like compliance-wise, is how do people interpret what yeah, it says? for sure. You know, and that that is where you start running into it. Because maybe it doesn't say that OWASP top 10 is a standard, but mm -hmm. it treats it as a standard. Yeah. You know, that type of thing where, depending on who's looking at it, depends on how they see it. You know, and now you kind of log like, oh, well, it says this. Like, so much of our stuff is interpretation. You know, I could look at yeah. something and read it completely different than both of yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, security questionnaire, do I do? Yes, I do that. Yep. Sure enough, you know. <laughs> interesting, guys. Interesting, interesting, interesting. All right, but we do have to ca ca cap this episode off, otherwise we keep talking forever. So, um, Steve, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the whirlwind tour of uh, of this tech. Um, I, I think, in my head, this is one that has to keep evolving as technology evolves. That's one of the things security does terribly is we. We saw, we, we see as a, oh, we've developed a solution to something. We're going to etch it in stone. It's never mm -hmm. going to change. This is how it's always going to be. And it doesn't keep evolving. So then it has to like, it comes to a point where it simply doesn't work anymore. You have to come up with something completely different. And that's that really hard leap we have to make. So incremental steps, I think is what, I, I think that's where you guys are driving it. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to see it. Yeah, I agree. Hey guys, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me. Hope we can do it again sometime. We should. We should do that. We'll find another dinosaur to talk about and pick on. So Indeed. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks so much. Uh, this has been fun, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully, you get to watch this uh, online on our YouTube page, which you are hopefully subscribed to. Uh, check the uh, ID3 tag or the um, DTSR.buzzsprout.com page for uh, how to find it there. Um, also, check it out on LinkedIn, uh, on our Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast page. And for myself and James and Mr. Steve Riley, the field CTO over at uh, Netscope with the cool job title and no responsibilities, I think I think he said. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> that's what it sounded like, Rob. That's, uh, that's what I heard. I have a lot of responsibilities. They're just centered around thoughts and ideas, not stuff. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. This has been fun. Cue the music. We are out of here. Thanks, Bye -bye. everybody. See you soon. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. 